and the first chapter will be at the end of first Peter this evening verse number 22 and moving into the second chapter so first Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22 it's a wonderful section of scripture largely about the word of God itself you'll see references to the word of God throughout these verses first Peter chapter 1 verse number 22 and we'll read all the way to chapter 2 verse 3 and just watch how it mentions the word of God itself all the way through these verses first Peter chapter 1 verse 22 everybody have it all right let's read since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let's just pause our reading there and we'll go back to verse 22. And we'll talk just briefly, and uh, let's have a word of prayer before we do so. Dear Lord, as we come to the close of another day, we pray that your word would inspire us to live for you. There is so much against us. We pray for all of the young people in the world tonight who are enticed by so many different temptations. We pray that you would deliver them and give them some eyes to see that that's not the way to live or the way to go. And help us to be good examples to them of what a true Christian and a true follower of Christ is. And we do pray for family devotions, Lord, that we would not only have our families around the Word of God, but individually be around God's Word. There is so much that we can learn and so many things that we can receive benefits from by spending time in your Word. So thank you very much for all of these great things. In Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of First Peter is hope in suffering. I don't know which ones among us this evening would say, I'm suffering. You might not use such a grand term. But you'd say you're having a hard time. Things are difficult. They're tight. You don't know how you're going to get along. Well, there's hope during times like that. We're never a hopeless people. We always have hope in the Lord. And 1 Peter says that there's tremendous hope when you're suffering. So if things are not going well for you this evening, I may not understand, and no one around you may not understand, but God understands. And he knows just what to say to give you some hope. The writer of this book, the human writer of this book, Peter, he knew what it was to suffer. The divine writer of this book, the Lord, he certainly knows what it is to suffer. He suffered more than any man. 
and the audience to whom this letter was originally written, those Jews who were scattered throughout the regions because of the persecution under the Roman Empire, they certainly knew what it was to suffer, to lose their homes, to have their families and livelihood in jeopardy. So these people who are involved in the writing and in the reading of First Peter, they knew all about suffering. So if you're suffering, there may be a tremendous amount of support for you in First Peter. Now, a couple of ways that Peter helps those who suffer is he points them to the Savior. And the second way is he points them to the doctrine of sanctification. And we've been talking about sanctification for several weeks now, and we'll just touch on it again tonight just briefly. But let's think first about the way that Peter points people to the Savior, especially sufferers. Look, for example, through 1 Peter at all of the times you hear about the sufferings of Christ. For example, if you're in the first chapter, just look in verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11, and see right in the middle the, the phrase, the sufferings of Christ. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, searching water, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. Now that phrase is going to appear throughout the book. Look in chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. And look in verse 23 of the same chapter. Verse 23 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So throughout the letter, you're going to hear the Apostle Peter say, you want to know about suffering? You want to have somebody who understands what it is to go through suffering? He says, just look at the sufferings of Christ. And you can go through the whole letter and see chapter after chapter these phrases about the fact that Christ has suffered more than any one of us. And I find it tremendously comforting to know that Jesus knows he knows and he understands what we're going through. He came down to this world so many years ago. And whatever you're going through right now, Jesus knows about it and he understands it. And whatever you've been going through for the past several months or even years of your life, Jesus knows. And I'm not a poet and there's some here who write songs and poets, uh, poems far better than I ever could. But I wrote a little poem this week that I, I thought of this line, Jesus knows. And so you might like to rhyme it along with me because every second line is simply Jesus knows. Uh, there's 11 stanzas and every second line is simply Jesus knows. So you'll be able to rhyme right along with me here. Here's how it goes. All your griefs and sorrows, Jesus knows. All your troubles for tomorrow, Jesus knows. Every shadow, Jesus knows. Every death blow, Jesus knows. Every misthrow, Jesus knows. When you're ultra low, Jesus knows. When the devil won't let you go, Jesus knows. When everything's a fiasco, Jesus knows. When life's like a volcano, Jesus knows. When no one even says hello, Jesus knows. Whether you're from Canso, Nanaimo, or Toronto, Jesus knows. You know, he, he understands everything. 
And there's a girl, Bertie Bell, she lived back in the early 1900s. She wrote a hymn. She was a school teacher. And part of her hymn is Jesus Understands. It goes like this. Courage, wayward traveler, heed your Lord's commands. There's a thought to cheer you. Jesus understands. Well, he knows the pathway over life's burning sands. Courage, fainting pilgrim, Jesus understands. Serve him where he sends you, though in distant lands. Do not doubt or question. Jesus understands. Leave the unknown future in the master's hand. Whether sad or joyful, Jesus understands. And that is so true, that whatever you're going through tonight, I don't understand. Nobody here might even comprehend what you're facing. But there is somebody who knows all about it. And he loves you very much. Peter gives hope to people who are suffering by pointing them to the sufferings of Christ. The other thing that he does is he points them to the doctrine of sanctification. And we're talking so much about sanctification in the evenings because from chapter 1, verse 13, all the way to chapter 2, verse 12, the subject is being practically holy. How to be holy is God is holy. Practically in your daily life to think, feel, behave, holy thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And so he's basically saying to the people, you want to be or or have hope in your suffering? Then he says you've got to be holy. You've got to work on your sanctification. Sanctification has the idea of, uh, uh, of being declared righteous, but also... Uh, moving away from your sin to actually practically be righteous in your day-to-day life. In, in other words, he's basically saying, if you've got something wrong in your life, don't enter into sin because that sin is only going to cause you more difficulty in your life. The last thing that you want to do if you have problems already in your life is add to those problems and complicate your your life with impure thoughts, impure behaviors, and bad actions. Uh, For example, there's a gentleman apparently down in New York State, Jamie Frierson. He's 49 years old, and I guess last year he was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And he decided to go on a crime spree. Apparently, in a matter of days... He committed five robberies, and he was in danger of going to prison for 17 years. When he appeared before the judge, apparently he begged for mercy, saying, if I have to die, I'm just hoping that I can die around my family and not in prison. So apparently last April 29th, according to the New York Daily News, the judge actually let this man go free. And nine days later, he went out and robbed two more banks. So, you know, he, he complicated his life. He already had the difficulty of ill health. And then he just added to his difficulty by robbing these banks, ending up in prison, and having tremendous difficulty. His rebellious and bad behavior created more suffering for himself. That's what we call jumping out of the frying pan into the fire or rushing towards failure or jumping off of a cliff, going from one situation into a far worse situation. 
And what Peter is warning these believers here in 1 Peter is, is work on your holiness, work on your sanctification. Set yourself apart from sin unto God so that you don't make matters worse for yourself. And we might not be going through the problems that they're having, definitely not, because they, they were under persecution because Nero, the emperor of Rome, had accused them of burning down the city of Rome. So they were facing tremendous difficulty as a result. We, we don't have those sorts of difficulties, but you may be going through a divorce. You may be going through some financial difficulty. You may have great uncertainty in your life or physical ill health. All of these things can be tremendously difficult for people. And Peter encourages us during those times to purify our souls. Now look at what he says in verse 22. We're in chapter 1, verse 22. He talks about purifying your souls. He talks about obeying the truth. He talks about loving the brethren, being born again. And then if you go all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, and just get into the word. Get into the word. If you're suffering, don't go out and commit some sin and complicate your life. Get into the word because nothing causes more trouble than getting in trouble with the Lord. So please don't go robbing banks tonight or anything else like that. You know, that's basically what Abraham did, if you think about it. Abraham was having considerable difficulty with his wife, Sarah. They were supposed to be having the promised son, uh, Isaac. God had told them that they would bring forth a son, and yet they couldn't seem to conceive. And so they came up with this idea, oh, I know, why don't you go into Hagar, my handmaid, and have a son by Hagar? And the people of Israel have had their lives complicated for generations because of that misstep by Abraham. Rather than concentrating on his sanctification and holiness and pure life, he said, I'm having some suffering in my life. Let me go out and do something wrong. And it's never going to improve. If things are not going well, we should never run after sin. We should run to the Lord. We should get closer to the Lord. Here's what Psalm 42, verse 6 says. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember thee. That's Psalm 42 and verse 6. Psalm 61 and verse 2 says this. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61, verse 2. You know, that's where I want to go when things are going tough. I don't want to go to the devil. I don't want to go to drugs. I don't want to go to alcohol. I don't want to go to uh, illicit behavior. I want to go to the Lord. That's where real help is going to be found. Proverbs 18 and verse 10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. You know, that's where you're going to find safety and goodness and hope. If you're having trouble in this life, or suffering, Peter says, don't run towards trouble, run towards God, work on your sanctification. It will be far better for you to suffer with a holy life than to suffer and have the consequences of an impure life. Now, for those who might be interested in having a pure life, and not everybody is, uh, some people couldn't care less how they live. Uh, they don't believe in God or that they're ever going to stand before him. But for those who are interested in living a holy, pure life, Peter's going to show us in the text that we've read tonight the source of holiness 
and a sign of holiness. And those are the two things that we'll talk about now. The source of holiness and a sign of holiness. The source of holiness, I already mentioned it because when I started reading verses 22 and following, I said it's all about the word of God. You can see obeying the truth in verse 22. You can see the word of God in verse number 23. All the way down through the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Verse 22 begins with purifying your soul. I don't know if you believe that I have a soul or not, or that you have a soul or not. The Bible says that there is an immaterial part of me that you can't see on an x-ray or a CAT scan that contains all of my memories, all of my thoughts, all of my feelings, all of my personality. Everything that I am is contained in an invisible, immaterial part of me called my soul. You can look and see my heart, and you can see my, my brain, and you can see my hip, but my soul is invisible. And the Bible says that part of me is going to last forever. And the Bible says that that part of me, when I'm born, is impure. You see in verse 22, it's talking about having your soul purified, having your soul cleaned. It's because when a little baby comes into the world as sweet and as nice-smelling as that little baby is, that baby has a soul that is impure, that is not right with God. It has inherited original sin. And not everybody believes in original sin, but you only have to live a very short amount of time to see very ungodly things coming out of any child. Any one of us can come up with the worst of words and the worst of ideas and the worst of behaviors. And you know that we didn't put those into the child, and yet they come out of the child because sin is resident within us. And everyone on the earth must admit that they know they're not entirely clean on the inside. Not every thought about every other person is a good thought. Not every ambition and desire is a good ambition and desire. There are things within each of us that we know are clearly wrong and should not be acted upon. It's because we are sinners. And we need to have that part of us, our soul, cleansed or purified. Now, if it was my oven at home, I'd know how to clean my oven. If it was my oak floors, I'd know how to clean my oak floors. I can go to the store and I can buy a degreaser or a heavy-duty cleaner or a cleanser of some sort, apply that, and hopefully it'll work and clean my oven or my oak floors. But how do you purify the soul? Verse 22 will tell you, it says that you purify the soul by obeying the truth. See that in verse 22? These people had already purified their souls, and how did they do it? In obeying the truth. And the truth that he's referring to there is back in verse number 2 of the first chapter. They had obedience when it comes to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the very first step in obeying the truth. It's not a work. We're not talking about adding works to salvation. It's just the, the obedience that we need to first purify our souls or cleanse our heart is by believing in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. But all forms of sanctification, whether it's positional sanctification or progressive sanctification, all this purifying is done in the same way. The word of truth. The word of God is the source to clean my soul. It's, it's like a bath when I sit under the sound of God's word. 
And when I put God's word in my heart, it keeps me from sinning against him. It's the word of God that cleanses and keeps people pure. It cannot be overstated. If you want a pure life, then obey the word of God. Let me take you back to Jeremiah for a moment. Jeremiah 23 the word of God is compared to many different things in the scripture. It's compared to a hammer. It's compared to a seed. It's compared to a sword. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29. It says, Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, Is not my word like a fire? Now, they say that apparently forest fires can be good for the forest. Now, they're certainly not good for the people who live near the forest and probably not good for the animals, but a forest fire can actually cleanse the floor of the earth and burn out all of that underbrush so that new growth can appear. And that's a wonderful picture of what takes place in your soul when you allow the Word of God to have its free course within you, not rejecting it, not despising it but rather accepting and embracing the word of god you take that into your heart and believe it and it's like a fire it just it purifies it it burns out all that junk that doesn't belong that all that useless underbrush of unrighteousness that shouldn't be there it just burns the whole thing clean so that you can now have new growth appear And memorizing the scripture, listening to sermons online, reading the Bible, having personal Bible study, coming to church, all of these things, when you believe it, obey it, and apply it to your life, it's really like a wildfire through the forest. It just burns away all that chaff and all of that useless, ungodly, wicked stuff in your life. And any person who's ever been truly clean... You know, they say, have you been clean? Yeah, I've been clean for 20 years. Well, what's your secret? I got into the Bible. I turned my life over to Jesus, and his word took a hold of my heart, and I've been clean for all of these years. It's the Bible that makes the difference. It's the source of personal holiness. Verse 22 of 1 Peter 1 says, they had purified their souls in obeying the truth. Now, if that's the source of holiness... What is a sign that holiness is working in us? Is there anything that I can point to in my life and say, I know the word of God is working in my heart. I know that I am becoming progressively more holy. Uh, holiness is you know, cleansing in your heart. Righteousness in your soul is invisible. So what can I practically point to and say, I know God's work is God's word is doing a work in my soul. If you're back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and following, not only talk about the word of God, they talk about love. Because verse 22 says, they purified their souls by obeying the truth through the spirit, and look at what it produced. Sincere love for the brethren. They're loving one another fervently with a pure heart. Peter does us a tremendous service here. Because he sets a scale before us and he says, basically, you know that you're having your heart purified when you are in obedience to the truth. Your obedience to the truth swings and shows the amount of purification in your heart. 
And the amount of purification in your heart is demonstrated and shown by the amount of love that you demonstrate for others, especially those within the body of Christ. So he helps us tremendously. I I essentially know the level of holiness within my life by the amount of love that I have for others. The, The two are incredibly connected. Holiness and love. Little holiness, little love, great holiness, great love. He says these people, they purified their souls, they did it by obeying the truth, and when they purified their souls and obeyed the truth, their love grew. And and notice that it is a genuine, sincere love for other people. It's not something they had to conjure up. It's not something they had to put on a mask for. It's not something they had to try and tolerate everybody around them. But they sincerely, genuinely loved other people. And you can know if the word of God is working in your heart by just asking yourself, do I even like the people around me? Am I just existing with them? Am I... Am I tolerating them? Do I have to somehow pretend like I like them when they're around, but I know I really couldn't stand being in their presence for more than five minutes? You know, If you can't stand your family and you can't stand your church and you can't stand being around people, then Peter is doing you a great favor, saying you have no holiness in your life. The amount of holiness in your life is directly related to the amount of love that you have for other people. Sincere, genuine love. And you can measure, is God purifying my heart by the word of God? Is there any love in my life for other people? When I go to church or I'm at school or I'm at work, do I have to pretend like I love people? Can I not wait to get away from them? Can I hope that it's not them calling me or texting me because I can't, I can't even bear the, the thought of, seeing that person for another minute you have no holiness in your life holiness comes from a god who is full of love and he will not be present where there is no love it's as clear as knowing that jesus christ the most holy person in the universe is also the most loving person he loves every one of us sincerely he doesn't put on a mask he doesn't fake it he loves you And he loves you because he is holy. One of the first and clearest signs of a holy person is they love everybody. They they just love people. And it's not a, a, a mask or a pretend. It's genuine. Now, it's also fervent. You can see that in verse number 22. He says they have sincere love for the brethren. They love one another fervently. And it comes from what a pure heart that's where that fervent genuine love comes from the word of god had been obeyed it cleansed or purified or sanctified them and they demonstrated it by their love for other people a fervent love is is like peter's using like an athletic term here and i know some of you are very athletic you could you could beat me in a race you could easily bench press me probably Uh, You're very athletic. So think about those times when you're an athlete and you are straining with every muscle. Every fiber of your being is reaching out for that ball or for that finish line or for for that opponent. You're just, every fiber of your being is focused on that goal. And that's what Peter's saying here. It's a fervent love. Every fiber of his being is wanting to love those people. And if you know people, 
that's the way you've got to love them because <laughs> some of them are awful hard to love. And you've got to use everything. You say it takes everything in me to love that person. I, I know. I got a whole bunch of people just like them. <laughs> it takes everything. Always patient, always forbearing, always kind, never getting anything in return, no slack, always condemnation, always criticism, always backstabbing. And you just say, it takes everything in me to love that person. That's called fervent love. That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And that is the greatest sign that you are a holy person, that you are willing to give everything. It will drain the life out of you to be around them. But you say, God wants me to love them. And God wants me to show his love to them. And I will do it. They will tear my hair out. And I will go home so tired from having loved that person, but I will love them. And I will never stop loving them. Because God never stopped loving me. And I will have a fervent, reaching, runner, stretching his hands out, muscles flexed, working hard, giving everything, every fiber and muscle, just to be not tolerant with that person, not polite with that person, but truly loving and sacrificing and giving all of this is a sign that you've been born again all of this is a sign that you've obeyed the truth all of it clearly a record that God's word is working within you way back in Exodus and the fifth chapter Moses was trying to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt He had gone into Pharaoh and said so vocally, let my people go. And Pharaoh, it says, added to their burdens and put heavy taskmasters over them and made them make bricks without straw. And Moses went to the Lord, pouring out his heart in Exodus 5, verses 22 and 23, And he basically says, Lord, these people are suffering. They're in tremendous trouble. And then he makes this statement. He says, Pharaoh has done evil to this people. And some translate it this way. Pharaoh has made things much worse in their life. And Peter is essentially telling us tonight, he says, if you're already suffering and you don't feel well or things aren't going well at work or school, Don't make things much worse by living an impure life. Uh, Live for the Lord and trust in him. And then as you suffer, he will cleanse your soul with his word. And you will know that he's working in your life because of how much you start loving your family and loving your church and loving others, even your enemies. And then, when your heart is pure and it's full of love, you'll be able to lay down your head at night and know if Jesus comes tonight, I'm ready to meet him because my heart is pure and I love others and his word has cleansed me and I've obeyed his truth 
And rather than making things much worse, you'll have made things much better. Let's pray.